I, I think the poet or the filmmaker or the musician, the poet must not avert his eyes. You must not avert your eyes. This is what is coming at us. that just can't decide which Star Wars is the best one. I'm Paul Salt. I'm Paul Goodman. <laughs> and today we shall be discussing top 10 film lists. Mm-hmm. Who needs them? What are they for? Why do we make them? Why are they so hard to make? Uh, we'll be discussing top 10s, our top 10s, and of course, your top 10 films, as decided by our mighty audience poll and a complicated formula understood only by me and the divine residents of Izzy's Crack Lounge off Connington Road. Paul, you John Cusack-style motherfucker. Hello. Hello. Why make a top ten favourite films anyways? Is it spite? It's definitely spite. <laughs> spite, pride, sloth. That's like, isn't that aren't those the words of France? <laughs> spite, pride, sloth. That's the tricolour uh, thing they've got going on. <laughs> that Three Colours trilogy was terrible. Sloth. <laughs> God knows what was going on. Shouldn't have had Kevin James in it. <laughs> the There are a lot of reasons for making a top 10. As humans, one of the things that defines us, I think, is trying to make sense of the world around us. Sure. Making a top 10 list out of uh, movies, it, it's a good way of, A, talking about something that you love deeply. Yep. B, giving people a snapshot of yourself. Yes. Through that. This is the kind of films that I, lis- uh, that I listen to. That I don't, I listen I don't watch to. films. Actually, my top <laughs> ten to listen films are very different. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting conversation to be had about, you know, w- which movies make it into the list. It is also quite distressing, though. <laughs> like, we've experienced ourselves, and we've seen it in the people we've asked for lists. It can be fairly fraught to try and come up with these things. Yeah, we've had people asking for do-overs. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've, I've spent every day of the last two weeks yeah. finalising my top ten. Yeah. It was like Sophie's Choice. It was like 87 Sophie's Choices. Yeah. All at the same time. Yeah, in the nude. It's like and in on each dreams. one you lost both children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really... You want the top ten to look momentous. Every item on there should just be like, mm. yes, this is one of them. I did... You know, putting this list together, I was thinking, and this is something that I've, you know, spoken to other people Mm. about, and they've gone through the same process where you try and, you've got to try and decide, A, what are the 10 films that really Mm. say something about you? Whether you're thinking about that overtly or not. Yeah. You know, or just, or just subconsciously. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, what are the 10 films that are going to make other people go, that's, wow, that's a good list. That's the thing is there's an element of sort of showing off with it. And then what films are just, cinematic masterpieces yes and which are the films that you would gladly watch and rewatch? <laughs> but that time in itself and again? that in itself is a different question is it which film do i want to watch over and over again mm. or which film moved me the most because requiem for a dream had a tremendous impact on me i yeah. never want to watch that again <laughs> yeah well for that for that reason i think i've got i've got a bit of a mix on my mm. on my list um there are i did have to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff where the chaff mm. in this sense were those pure pieces of art that yeah. I haven't actually seen a second time because yeah. they were so harrowing or such or so just just genuinely exhausting. Yeah. But I still it's still important to like have have some of those in so people can yes absolutely. I think it comes from this sort of 
arrogant, like pretentious centre where I want people to know that I've seen <laughs> Naked Gun Seven. Yeah, that's tr- that's true. But it, there is an aspect of um, wanting to show the full range of your tastes as well. Like, yeah. like for example, my top ten, my top thirty does not contain a martial arts movie. Mm. There were none for a long time. I thought about Crouching Tiger, but I just I, I couldn't justify it, and that's a shame because I spend so much of my time watching martial arts movies, loving martial arts movies. Yeah. And I just couldn't get one in there. Yeah, I, one thing that I really struggled with was getting British films in there. Yes. Um, I've got a bit of an, on, an ongoing issue with, with my, my mother country and the, <laughs> the, 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 the films of it mm. just don't, in, haven't inspired the same yeah. wonder. And whilst I can, I can list a hundred very, very good, very yeah. sophisticated films, the ones that I think of, you know, for my top 10, my top 30 are the ones that just grab my heart right by the dick. Yeah. And, and just lead it around. But I had, I had a real issue with that. And, and I, and I was like, why am I, am I being disingenuous? Am I doing them a disservice by not including mm. them? But yeah, it's, it's, I'm really looking forward to getting these out there and, and yeah. just discussing the peculiarities of both of our lists and then, and then, looking at the lists that everyone has sent in yes 48 of you um sent in your um your lists could have been a nice even 50 but just two of you just couldn't be bothered so before we'll come to that first we're gonna go through our top tens Mm -hmm. okay let's start your your number 10 selection sir okay uh my number 10 is uh, a new arrival on my... Uh... Oh, what? What? What is it? What is it? I don't it's know a... what's going on. Oh, Shinner's List. Yeah. No, it's uh, Arrival. Yuck, <laughs> um, yuck. Which was number three on my list of uh, 2016. Yep. Aliens come to Earth, and a respected linguist is tasked with learning their language and in turn their purpose on Earth. Ooh. Denis Villeneuve has really proven himself to be one of the most innovative mm. directors working today. But I think Arrival is his current peak. Yeah, the I'd best agree. he's done so far. A good sci-fi comments on society, but a great sci-fi makes us care and it gives us hope. And mm. that's what this film is. It's a cry for understanding. It's a beautiful character study layered mm. over this massively relevant geopolitical story that just yeah. happens to do everything a good sci-fi film does. We, we, we follow Amy Adams' character learning, um, mm. learning the language of the heptapods and trying yep. to teach the heptapods English. Yep. It's more exciting to me than Indiana yeah. Jones. It awed me, this film. Yeah. The only other thing to add to that really is just the soundtrack. Oh, it's, God, it's yeah. wonderful like, balance of memorable refrains and the Hans Zimmer-style ambience. But yeah. to say it was Hans Zimmer-esque would be doing a, um, it'd be it's, an injustice to yeah, Johan Johansson. Um, I'd also like to ha- uh, emphasize that there is a track from Max Richter's Blue Notebooks used mm-hmm. at a k- two key moments in the mm-hmm. film um, on The Nature of Daylight, which is just gorgeous. Favorite moment? Uh, my favorite moment would be the, the teaching learning sequence where they're going through the, the basics of language. Uh, it's a montage. There's a shot of Jeremy Renner walking um, <laughs> along with uh, Ian is walking, which is yeah. his character's name, on the whiteboard. Yes. And the heptapod to show that he or it understands starts walking alongside yeah. Jeremy Renner. Yeah. And there's just something so <laughs> encouraging, I guess, but it's yeah. just really made me feel really fucking good. Yeah. That that moment, and it's a it's a movie a movie full of those moments of understanding yeah. and and fraternity and things like that. Absolutely. Um, of course, it's Amy Adams' movie. She mm. her her beautifully ambiguous performance is just stunning. Cool, good stuff. Um, my number ten. 
is 2001 A Space Odyssey. Why not start with one of the most titanic fucking movies ever made? Um, I first saw this on TV when I was a kid, and I didn't really get it. I remember being freaked out and upset by the ending, but fairly bored by the rest. Um, then I remember as a teenager putting it on as uh, to have as background noise whilst I played Killzone. <laughs> um, I, I remembered the opening sequence with the monkeys, so I paused the game to watch that, and that video game was not unpaused for some 142 minutes, and I just watched it on the mm. tiny screen I'd put it on. Um, for the past five years, I've tried to only see it in cinemas and have managed to do it each year since. Um, it's a tremendous movie. The movie starts at the dawn of time to show primitive man discovering the use of tools before racing ahead to the space age to show the discovery of a strange and unnatural monolith on the moon, which sends out a signal pointing to Jupiter. And so begins a long journey by a crew consisting of two awake humans several sleeping ones, and a robot named Hal. But where this film becomes one of the greatest films of all time is the atmosphere. It's a film that demands your attention. It's slow, uh, it'll take its time revealing itself to you, but it thrives on absorbing you into its flawless world. It's hypnotic, and the pacing is a huge part of that. The special effects, the special effects have not aged a day. It still looks so good. Films don't look as good now as 2001 did then. Oh dear, my favourite scene is the docking sequence early on, which is simply a sequence where a commercial airline's flight is docking with a space station. That is all that is happening. But it, to us, it's the most astonishing thing. It's, it's so graceful and perfect. Mm. Man has accomplished this extraordinary thing. He has mastered the tools that, you know, primitive man first learned at the beginning of the movie and created these wonders. And, and you know, one of our main characters practically sleeps for it. So... Like I did through this film. Ah, oh, so oh. boring. Yeah, hate it. Nothing happens. <laughs> so pretentious. <laughs> I think the movie is unparalleled. With directors like Spielberg, I think of a sense of wonder, mm. but I believe that 2001 is alone in its ability to inspire awe. Uh, silent, open-mouthed, heart-racing awe. I genuinely get excited just thinking about it. My number nine. Uh, this film was described to me once as the film you can never really like. You can appreciate that it's an outstanding piece of cinema, but you'd never want to rewatch it. Much like uh, Requiem for a Dream, this film was also directed by Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> That's right, this is The Fountain. But I would say that it's more than a difficult or depressing story. Now bear with me, Hugh Jackman plays a conquistador in the Middle Ages, searching for the Tree of Life for his queen, played by Rachel Weisz. He also plays a scientist in the modern world. He's finding a cure for cancer for his wife, also played by Rachel Weisz. And then several hundred years into the future, Hugh Jackman plays a lone man uh, slash being, meditating in the middle of a biosphere, drifting through space towards the nebula Shibalba. Now this film had a mixed reception. Mm. Um, I think it was seen as an ambitious flop. Yeah. It, It aimed high. And it fell far. Oh, it's like a Christopher Nolan film. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ugh. it's so pretentious. Boring. Jesus. I just want a popcorn movie. I just, I just want to watch Transformers 15 times a day and then <laughs> shoot myself in the face. <laughs> so I love this film. Where other people see it as being a dud, for me it's a 
devastatingly beautiful love story across time. It's sparse yeah. exactly where it needs to be, yeah. despite the the scale of the of the project. It's still begrudging. It doesn't want to yeah. over. It doesn't want to overload. It's it's got a very simple message as these people are uh, searching for immortality and trying to prevent the death of the people they love, but at the same time ignoring mm. the final moments of, of their lives. Yeah. And then on, on top of that, the soundtrack for me is one of the greatest ever put to film. Clint Mansell yeah. really excelled himself on this one. Mm. And the important thing is the message there is as relatable and human as you or me. Yeah. Maybe not you. No, I am a nothing man. But it's, yeah, it's a stunning film. It really is. Yeah, uh, my favorite moment, the mm-hmm. finale. Ah, uh, uh, yes. I can't, I can't say what it is without yeah. completely spoiling it. But <laughs> um, the, one of the amazing things about this film was the, the small budget that Aronofsky had to oh, work yeah. with. Um, this is one of those movies that epitomizes the saying "necessity breeds invention." Yeah, absolutely. And um, 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 the steps they took to get the the visuals that mm. you see on screen. Yeah, it's it's a fucking masterclass. <laughs> Okay, uh, my number nine is Rear Window. A very tough decision between this and Vertigo, a very different Hitchcock movie. I chose Rear Window because it's as intelligent as Vertigo, as technically brilliant, as well performed, but it's just so much more entertaining. Mm. Um, it's (laughs) Uh, It's about a photographer named Jeffries. Played by Jimmy Stewart, who finds himself wheelchair-bound after a close scrape uh, with a crashing car that he was phot- uh, photographing. Head on. <laughs> Head on. <laughs> that was such a great shot. <laughs> getting a bit close, Jim. <laughs> Shut <started>. up! <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> um, his boredom is interrupted by visits from his hilarious nurse, his gorgeous girlfriend Lisa Fremont, and long periods of staring out of the window at his neighbours. Mm-hmm. The film takes place entirely on this huge set, um, which recreates a sprawling neighborhood outside of Jeffrey's window. He, and therefore we, uh, can see about a dozen neighbors who are all developed characters in the film. Uh, we learn about them by watching them, like Jeffrey's does. But whilst he's staring at them, he begins to suspect that one of his neighbors is hiding a murderous secret. It has such a fun spirit to it. Mm. It's very dark, but manages a sort of light-hearted tone surprisingly well. Uh, performances are great across the board. Stuart is stubborn and selfish, but just so fucking charming. Yeah. And I love the way Hitchcock moves his camera around this space. There are so many clever shots where our attention is directed from Stuart's life in the foreground to the neighborhood in the background and vice versa. The interplay between them is beautiful. And it's also really funny. The dialogue is snappy and witty. And also, I just, I really love the character of Lisa Fremont. I find her quite progressive for its time. Um, and what's brilliant is you can see Jeffrey's fall in love with her throughout the film through the sort of reactions he has to her. Um, and we do too because Grace Kelly is brilliant. I love the characters in this. Yeah. Um, I agree that it was, uh, for me, it would be more deserving of a top 10 place than, uh, Vertigo as well. Yeah. The set is just a show of technical brilliance. Yeah. Um, the, the dialogue was wonderful and it, it was just so thoroughly enjoyable. Favorite moment's tricky, but I think it's, it's just, it's any one of the moments where it just pans around the neighborhood. Mm. Um, and my, I think the, the opening shot is particularly good where it just sort of moves around these different people and then it just sort of ex- reveals Jimmy Stewart and in that opening dialogue, in that opening shot without dialogue reveals so much of sort of his backstory and his situation. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that's my favourite moment. Um, I love Rear Window. It's Hitchcock's most concise 
statement of purpose to frill the audience. Uh, up next on my top 10 all-time favourite high-concept sci-fi films <laughs> is uh, Inception. Finally some Nolan. Finally. Jesus. I know. Uh, We're wasting our time here. <laughs> in this masterpiece, Dream Thieves go on one big dream heist to end all dreams. Dreams. Uh, <laughs> to end all dreams? I dreams didn't realize dreams. Was at the stake. <laughs> they kill the Sandman. <laughs> um, the prize is Leonardo DiCaprio gets to be with his kids again uh, after a tragedy keeps them apart. <gasps> one of Nolan's most emotionally intense mm. and sophisticated films to date. Uh, with Cobb, who's played by DiCaprio, a deeply troubled guy chasing this like El Dorado of mm. his his family, who he's begun to fantasize about to the point that it's it's dreamlike itself. Again, what's the the Paprika style dream logic just defies them at every yeah. step. He's haunted, yeah. literally pursued through these dreams by his guilt. Along with the Hans Zimmer soundtrack, most importantly, I think is the fact that Nolan never underestimates his audience. No. But again, emotionally, it had me by the pants. Yeah, every 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 step of the way. Yeah, I just I want to make one point, which is that some people complain about the dreams that they're not adventurous enough. It's mm. like you're, you've got dreams; you could do anything with dreams. Mm. And the thing about something like Paprika is it's visually gorgeous, but yeah. very hard to relate to. Yeah. But firstly, because I don't dream like that. My dreams no. are of me in ordinary situations. I think most people dream that way, and but also by only. By having these extraordinary things like impossible staircases or a train that rips through traffic, yeah. you know, by having them all practical effects and all fairly grounded in the rules of the real world, they're so much easier to relate to. Mm. I mean, I really love this. I must have seen it about 10 or 15 times. Oh, Christ, yeah. Seen, well, three times in the IMAX and, <laughs> you know, just really hope he goes on making yeah. movies like this. Uh, my favourite moment, I mean, there's so much to choose, but I yeah. guess it's the first time we knowingly go into the dream world with Leonardo DiCaprio and um, Ellen Page. We've had about 30 to 40 minutes of Baptism of Fire where we're thrust into this 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 dream world with all yeah. this this concept, with all these rules, and yeah. and then suddenly it slows down and we're, we're told something about the way dreams work and the way building dreams work. Suddenly in, in this world, yeah. she is experimenting with it and yeah. know, she, she starts folding the world in on itself. That is the most extraordinary yeah. moment, I think. I think that was when I first realised that I was this was going to be one of my favourite films of all time. Yeah. So, uh, my number eight is The Shining. The Shining is the scariest film I've ever seen. Um, it was, for a while, the only film I wasn't allowed to watch as a kid. It occupied the top shelf of my parents' VHS collection, along with The Evil Dead and some weird 70s art porn. Um, they eventually relented and showed me The Shining and the art porn when I was old enough, um, around 12, I think. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it scared this the- This is a doobie. <laughs> or- um, and yeah, it scared the shit out of me forever. Um, it is again, it's the atmosphere that Cubic can create. It's the constant sense of unease. Um, the, the soundtrack, the long lingering shots, and there are jump scares. That klaxon sound <laughs> may sound, um, might amuse some people, but it'll never not be the scariest noise I've ever heard. More impressively, there are just long lingering moments of tension and sustained moments of horror. 
like a scary thing happens and then just keeps happening for ages <laughs> and it never loses yeah. its effect like a sustained <laughs> note of you shitting yourself <laughs> a lot gets said about comparisons to the book um but Stephen King's The Shining is about a good family man who battles with alcoholism. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, written by himself and Diane Johnson, uh, is about a man who hates his family. <laughs> he finds his son and wife deeply irritating, and he, resent- he resents the impact they've had on his life. From the beginning. Mm. Like, he is a man who has barely contained within Jack Nicholson's face. Um, and he eventually succumbs to the hatred, and he tries to murder his family. That, for me, is far more upsetting and frightening than alcoholism's bad i know some people just hate their family (laughs) they just do the novel has more detail on the backstory of the hotel and the spirits within it but i prefer the mystery i think Mm. king uh, sorry cubic was led by lovecraft who at one point said in all things that are mysterious never explain Kubrick understood that, and this movie can't fully be explained. Because actually, Kubrick threw in one moment, only one moment that definitively proves that there are ghosts in the hotel, which is that um, at one point, Shelley Duvall locks him in the fridge, mm. and some someone or something lets him out. Yeah, That is the only moment. The rest could all be imagined, and just Jack Nicholson going insane. And it's, it's great. Favorite scene? I mean, favorite scene. I'll never be happy about what happens inside of Room 237. <laughs> it upsets me and disturbs me more than anything. <laughs> In terms of a favorite moment that I can actually watch, <laughs> um, when Wendy and uh, Danny are going through the maze, the hedge maze, there is a prolonged zoom in mm. on Jack Nicholson's face um, as he just sort of stares intently out the window. And Wendy Carlos's music is sublime in that moment and just terrifying. Yeah, personally, I think there is only one Overlook Hotel and the scariest things that are in it are the things that Jack Torrance brought with him. Number seven for me mm-hmm. is The Godfather. The story follows the reluctant rise of Michael Corleone to the position of Mafia Don. So why is this deserving of a place in my top ten? For the same reason it features in so many others. The incredible performances from literally everyone. Al Pacino, Marlon Brando, mm. Robert Duvall, James, James Khan. James Khan. Yeah. Um everyone 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 else. The masterful cinematography, right down to the very final shot. Yeah. Um, which is just chilling. Yeah. It is utterly, utterly chilling. Um, the painstaking attention to, but not glorification of mob violence. Yeah. Um, the score by Nino Rota. Rota? Ah, I'm not sure. Nino Rota. Excellent. Uh, thank you. The <laughs> stunning, deliberate pace that reflects this building of a dynasty. Um, my favourite moment is when Don Corleone is in hospital um, uh-huh. after the um, assassination attempt. Michael Corleone enlists the help of the florist who comes to visit to pretend to be an armed guard. And, and when the gangsters go and give up on the second, you know, attempt, give up like, on finishing yeah. the job, yeah, the like the shudder of fear that escapes this florist's body. <laughs> it's so, it's so, it was so striking the yeah. last time I watched it. Yeah, um, oh, that's brilliant. Just sublime. <laughs> My number seven. Um, <laughs> la, 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 la. 
Lebowski is about a guy named The Dude. Now let me tell you about The Dude. He's basically an aging hippie who survives on welfare checks, and only really cares for three things. White Russians, his rug, and bowling with his friends. When one of those things is taken (laughs) from him by a couple of guys, he ends up embroiled in an increasingly complex kidnapping plot. Uh, But The Dude, he's got a lot of other stuff on his mind. This is a Coen Brothers comedy, a genre that they have had mixed results in. But this is the standout, I think, that proves that they can do this so well. It's such a funny movie, but it's also really engaging and well-made in that way that all Coen Brothers are. Mm. Um, And dark in places as well, but again, with that brilliantly consistent tone that just makes everything... (sighs) Coen-y. Coen-y. Yeah, the movie is elevated by amazing supporting performances by a very gentle Steve Buscemi, um, a goofy Philip Seymour Hoffman, Uh a worrying John Turturro, a powerful Julianne Moore, the unstoppable John Goodman as Walter, the right-wing NARM veteran (laughs) with the heart of gold. Um, But most importantly, you've got Jeff Bridges at the head of it. His character is a parody of traditional masculine characters like Philip Marlowe or sort of the man with no name from the West... um, the dude only ever has a rough idea of what's going on and is almost always focused on the wrong thing. Jeff Bridges plays him so well and he's so funny. You just love the guy and his attitude towards life is so seductive. Of just, fuck it, let's go bowling. The dude abides and I think there's comfort in that. Perhaps it shouldn't be, but like my overriding like memory of that film the yeah. first thing I go to is when he's uh, he goes to like he, he does that pencil rubbing on the guy's notepad <laughs> um, thinking that he's, he's going to unearth something and it's just yeah. a big erect penis <laughs> we're talking about unchecked aggression here what the dude. fuck is he talking my about my rug forget Look, it Donnie you're Walter, out of your element Walter the Chinaman who peed on my rug I can't go give him a bill so what the fuck are you talking about what the fuck are you talking about the Chinaman is not the issue here dude I'm talking about drawing a line in the sand, dude. Across this line, you do not. Also, dude, Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. Asian American, please. My favorite moment is probably just Walter, Donnie, and the dude at the bowling alley. Happens a few times, a lot of times, too many times, (laughs) considering what's going on. But probably right after they have spectacularly fucked up handing over money in exchange for um, the kidnapped girl. Characters are perfect. They're perfect. They they, they really are, and it's just such a joyous movie. (laughs) Number six for me, the highest ranking new entry uh, from 2016. Ah, yes. Uh, Anyone who listened to that episode will remember me waxing rather emotionally... (laughs) But unlyrically. On, yes, really not lyrically, guys. <laughs> um, on the uh, Japanese animated movie, Your Name. Directed by Makoto Shinkai. Yeah. Um, two disaffected Japanese school kids, Taki and Mitsuha, suddenly forced to spend whole days in each other's bodies without warning. Taki soon discovers that whatever is joining them could be the key to saving more than just themselves. Ah. Now, this is only getting better every single every time <laughs> I watch it. I um I went to put it on a couple of days ago, mm. and I was in tears within the first minute. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Um, <laughs> It's it's got a crazy frenetic opening few minutes, which yes. uh, when we first saw it in the cinema was, was r- confounding. Yes, <laughs> and it did make us wonder if we were in the right uh, the right screening or if we'd uh, we'd trusted Mark Kermode for the last time. Yeah, maybe like <laughs> maybe this is an adaptation of a TV show that we really needed to have watched. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's an opening credit sequence, really. Yeah, 
it really is. But that is the f- that was the first of many surprises in yeah. this film. The other surprises are that it's it's devastatingly sad at times, but yeah. otherwise hilarious. With yeah. the, the the main theme of the film is uh, these two characters are searching for something that they don't know is there. Yeah, and when they're suddenly forced to come to terms with a second body and a second life, yeah, the film starts to tap into this like infinite inner space and like the life of the world and all this this meaning that suddenly floods their lives and there's just so much wonder there and you yeah. know it, that that's something more that they were searching for i think i yeah. found it in this film <laughs> by making the first like hour or so of your name by making that so sort of goofy and high spirited and fun but also yeah. sort of very openly silly and joyful it really is talking to you on your level. Yeah. It's on level with you and sort of brings yeah. you in so that when it starts going into the heavier stuff, the yeah. headier stuff, you you go with it and sort of are more open to experiencing the sort of very weird stuff it, and moving stuff it wants you to experience. Absolutely. My favourite moment would yep. uh, probably be the montage of Taki and Mitsuha getting used to living their dual oh, yeah. lives. There's so much detail packed in that isn't like necessarily all comprehensible to begin with. Yes. It took me a few washes before <laughs> I properly took it all in. But yeah. you're like, but it's intentional, you know. You're thrown into this disarray on purpose, yeah. Snatching what information you can, like scraps being thrown at you from yeah. in a jail cell. It's hilarious, and the Radwimp score just complements it perfectly. <laughs> My number six is Memento. Finally, some... No- oh, did you forget? <laughs> Maybe I dreamt it. <laughs> In Memento, Guy Pearce plays Leonard, a man with a mental condition that means his short-term memory is constantly fading fast. Um, He is seeking revenge against the man who killed his wife and fucked up his brain. Um, And how do you tell a story about a man who has no memory? How do you keep the audience from getting frustrated with him, uh, forgetting the events of the movie and constantly sort of ignorant of the revelations that the audience has already experienced? Um, And how can you get the audience to really empathize with a man who has no knowledge of what he has just done? Well... Christopher Nolan does it with a powerful narrative device. The film, the film scenes are presented in reverse order, and that's not the same thing as playing the film backwards. We get the very last scene at the beginning of the movie, then the second to last, third to last, etc., until we arrive at the beginning of the story at the end of the movie. Sound confusing? Well, what's brilliant about the film is that it's so natural to watch. Um, you won't be lost. It establishes the rules very well early on, and it never breaks them. Um, and the effect is, why it's done this, is that rather than wonder what is about to happen, we wonder what has happened to get us here. How did Leonard get here? What has just happened? And this can be fascinating and deeply poignant and even funny sometimes. Um, the device allows us to examine the importance and yet sort of unreliability of memory, uh, but most poignantly in its relationship to grief. Leonard's grief is so fucking palpable in the movie. It's, it, it is in a less literal way, a spectre that sort of follows him throughout the whole f- uh, film and the events of it. It, is also, it. it also really emphasizes what a tragic figure the vengeful Leonard is, um, because as we start with the dramatic action, we then, throughout the film, learn more and more about what it means and why it happened. Um, and when you finally know why the thing that happens at the end of the story, beginning of the film, happened, 
you can't help but feel very frustrated <laughs> because nothing we learn as the film goes on is going to affect what has happened at the end of the story, you know, which becomes increasingly distant. It it has a sense of inevitability to it, which becomes very tragic. My favorite moment is, um, it's, it's the through line of the movie, which is just Leonard's relationship with his dead wife. And, um, the moment in question, Carrie Ann Moss, um, who's really excellent in the film, incidentally, mm-hmm. asks him to remember his wife and, What's, what's, what I love about it is that he closes his eyes and we get images of the wife and the life that they had together whilst the sound of the cafe carries on, and, uh, muted a little. And it's mm. really somber and quite beautiful and is the way memory works, mm. sort of accompanied by his brilliant, you know, narration. Um, Guy Pierce is great in this. He's the perfect hero for this. Memento is just the perfect implementation of a very clever idea. It's not just a gimmick. It's a perfect marriage of concept and content, and as a and a brilliant, intelligent thriller as a result. Now, where was I? So the trilogy is Lord of the Rings, and the film, the one that I choose, is The Fellowship yeah. of the Ring. Perhaps strangely, because it's the beginning of the story, but it's the one that I rewatched the most. Perhaps maybe on uh, I keep embarking on this like great plan to watch all three of them, and I get as far as the first one and go, oh, yeah. I've got a job to do. <laughs> that took four hours. <laughs> yeah. Even though it doesn't have necessarily the biggest emotional moments of the trilogy, even like the smaller ones are a real treat. Boromir's internal struggle and then his his sacrifice at the end, for yeah. example. I love the the dynamic between the nine, the power struggles going on there. Boromir, yeah. especially the exploration of the world, they where they're mm. they're they're beginning this journey, and yeah. you know, for the most part, you're seeing it through the eyes of the the hobbits. Yeah. Um, the score, it's pretty good. Yeah. When I saw it when I was fourteen, it was the greatest film I'd ever seen, and I love it no less today. It just happens that other films have sort of come about that I love equally yeah. or just a little bit more. <laughs> cool. Um, my number five is the Lord of the Rings. The Fellowship of the Ring. Oh. Yeah. So in my official list, the one that exists in my brain and is the proper one, I have the Lord of the Rings trilogy as one movie because god damn it they are. Yeah. They're one big story that was made at the same time that only makes sense in the context of each other. But for this, I had to choose one and doing so was the hardest thing I've ever had to fucking do. Mm. Finally, I decided to go with the Fellowship of the Ring for a few very important reasons. One, mm-hmm. It has the best narrative focus. Um, the heart of the movie is a humble figure deciding to undertake a, burden- a burdensome task and learns that it will be more difficult than he initially imagined, but his friend will help him. That's basically the whole trilogy. Mm. Two, it best showcases the relationship between Sam and Frodo, admittedly only in the first hour and the last 15 minutes. <laughs> um, That's what you remember. Three, it has the most visual variety and the most authentic spirit of adventure throughout the whole thing. Like, you know, the mm-hmm. Mines of Moria and yeah. Above Moria and the uh, Lothlorien and Almond Hen. It all just looks so gorgeous. Four, the other two movies got way too focused on spectacle and special effects work. Um, this movie has the sort of best blending of special effects mm. techniques. Um, as much as I love the emotional payoffs of Return of the King, I will always just think about Legolas running up a big CGI elephant and shooting it in the head. Mm. And just, no, no, <laughs> no. Why are you going to do that, Legolas? Why have you gone and done that now? Yeah, I, I don't think we can, we can ever, <laughs> ever properly choose between any of them because no, when you the want whole... to watch one, you have to, you know, you yeah. watch the others, don't you? The whole trilogy is near perfect. Yeah. The definitive fantasy movies. Yeah. I just want to draw out the uh, music by Howard Shaw, which I think you described as pretty good. 
<laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I would describe it as absolutely brilliant. Possibly yeah. the best score ever written for a motion picture. Yeah. And its use of themes and leitmotif is just like masterful. It is a fucking masterpiece of a soundtrack. <laughs> I think I'm done. Yeah. Well, what's your favorite moment from that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it's when Frodo announces that he will take the ring. And the oh. brief look of loss. <laughs> the long look of loss on Gandalf's face yeah. when communicating to the audience the toll that this is going to take on him. My favorite... We should have highlighted really Ian McKellen's performance because uh, yeah. every performance is great in this, but Ian McKellen as Gandalf was perfect, inspired Masterstroke, casting. yeah. Um, my favorite moment is that when Frodo, they're in the uh, mines of Moria and they've just discussed Gollum. Mm-hmm. And I think Frodo understands that maybe he's had a glimpse of his future if he's not careful. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And it's just like a shaft of light. Shining into this dark cave. You know, the adventure's already been a bit darker than we thought it was going to be. And that little moment between them is just gorgeous. Um, my number four. I am passing on for a, for a moment. Okay, then we'll come back to that. Mm. What could it mean? My number four. Oh, I'm not sure I should talk about it. No, it's Fight Club. <laughs> David Finch's crucially 1999 movie about Jack, who is played by Edward Norton. Jack is an office worker who hates his life. Uh, he hates his job, he hates his apartment full of designer furniture, and he hates himself for not being strong enough to change any of it. Uh, he finds initial comfort in support groups for men with real problems like testicular cancer until a fellow imposter named Marla starts showing up, ruining his lie. Uh, he then finds comfort in fellow outcast Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt, a dangerous terrorist with some very particular ideas about identity. Uh, together they found Fight Club, um, a place where men can escape modern life and find purity in good old-fashioned punching each other in the face. There is, however, something more sinister at the heart of the organization <laughs> than just good old punching each other in the face. Um, yeah, and Edward Norton has to sort of own responsibility for helping to found it. Mm. It's an exciting, mind-bending drama up one end <laughs> and down the other. It's a very playful and, anar- and anarchic meditation on modern identities, um, principally masculine identities, but more broadly, just what the fuck does it mean to be human? And alive in a time where we're all forced to, into little boxes, uh, both at work and socially. Mm. You know, we're all aware of what is expected of us, and a lot of us are pretty unimpressed by the options available. Um, but then this figure emerges who seems to have all the answers, uh, but ultimately he's not to be trusted. Um, it's, it's just a deeply intelligent movie about modern identity, one that only gets more relevant with age. It's very fucking funny, and it's oh. very fucking fun. Yeah, it definitely um, is. And it really... Seems seems to just give the finger to just about anyone who tries to play like pigeonhole it yeah. or try to associate it with anything as a, yeah. as a friend or or a foe, really. Yeah, but yeah. So consequently, this is just a great thing about the idea that actually the generation above you let you down. Mm. You can't live your life the same way they did. What are you going to do instead? You know, yeah. Fight Club. <laughs> Maybe not. Probably yeah. not. My favorite scene is actually the very last scene, which I'm going to describe without spoiling too much. Um, after the bullshit has all finally slipped away for real this time and hopefully forever, 
a man and a woman are able to reach out and touch each other. And he says, you met me at a very strange time in my life. <laughs> yeah, people call this Our Generation's The Graduate. You know, the movie that mm. sort of just sums up the spirit of a generation. And I think that feels appropriate to me. One, once in a generation, we managed to put all of our fears and frustrations into something pure and perfect, a biting satire of modern life that is funny and a little off-putting to, mm. you know, lots of people. And this is it. So don't miss it. This is your life. And it's what? ending one minute at a time. What just... was the noughties? Huh? What was the noughties? Terminator 4. <laughs> Perfect. Something like that. <laughs> um, my number three is also a pass. Ah, yeah. There you go then. For future reasons that <sighs> will become clear. I guess I'll talk more then. Fuck me. You have to. <laughs> My number three is No Country for Old Men. Um, another Coen Brothers movie, and it is the perfect thriller, quite frankly. it's I could be that concise about it. It's yeah. a perfect thriller. My number two is... <laughs> uh, this is a movie about a man named Llewellyn Moss. Uh, not Llewellyn Moss. Llewellyn Moss who stumbles upon a drug deal gone wrong in the desert. He decides to take the money he finds there, but what he doesn't realise is that Anton Chigurh, played by a terrifying Javier Bardem, is responsible for the money's safe deliverance, and he will go to any length to get the money back. Not because of greed, not because of pride or ego. Something else drives Anton Chigurh. Something that old-time Sheriff Tom Bell, played beautifully by Tommy Lee Jones in his mm-hmm. finest performance. By beautiful Tommy Lee Jones. Beautiful Tommy Lee Jones. Um, struggles to understand. Uh, but can he stop it? So this is my favourite Coen Brothers movie, and frankly, I think it stands apart from their other work. Most similar, perhaps, in spirit to Fargo, but even Fargo is funnier than this. It has mm. the relief of the humour. That still... It, it does still have a, a streak of black humour that runs through this, um, like all of their movies, but this is a titanic work. It's monolithic. A great, silent, and stern masterpiece that brilliantly realises Cormac McCarthy's brutal, minimalist novel. It's pretty violent and upsetting at times. Mm. Um, but more often than that, it's just incredibly tense or sad. It's, it has this melancholia throughout the whole thing. Um, the action scenes are beautifully constructed exercises of tension. The shootout at the hotel is just fucking amazing. Gotcha. Um, there's this morose feeling of inevitability to the whole narrative. The, the tagline was, you can't stop what's coming. And that just feels overwhelmingly true throughout the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Like you said, there are funny moments, but it, it's more out of the tension, the sheer yeah. unease that you feel, because it, it, it is just one of the oh, tightly strong yeah. films. It's like forced intimacy with Javier Bardem and yeah. Anton Chigurh. Um, you don't want to be that close to him, but you are for so much of the film. And even when you're on, like, focused on Josh Brolin or yeah. Tommy Lee Jones, he's there somewhere. He's in the background yeah. or he's in another, the next room over. <laughs> And you just can't escape it. No. It's just he's, so oppressive. He's such a great villain. Uh, my favourite scene, um, Sheriff Tom Bell spends the whole movery, movery. The, uh, the whole movery. The whole movery, wondering what the world is coming to. Yeah. Uh, he's quitting his job as sheriff because he's convinced the whole world has just gone to shit. And it's not like the good old days when his daddy was sheriff. Uh, and then he goes and visits his old friend in a superbly scripted sequence that I am not exaggerating when I say it might be my favourite like duologue ever recorded in film. And it ends with my favorite quote of the film. What you got ain't nothing new. This country's hard on people. 
It's a sad film. Melancholic, but also beautiful. Um, again, it's atmosphere. It's the pacing that makes your heart race at times, but also just... You know, it's not the kind of thing you can put into words. Sometimes words aren't enough, and that's when the Coen brothers take over. <laughs> they step in and shove a big black gun down your throat. It's like, sing! And you can't, because you've got a gun in your mouth. They should have fought this through. <laughs> I knew that whenever I got there, he'd be there. Then I woke up. Uh, my number two. Mm-hmm. Easily Sofia Coppola's best film. Oh. Scores a respectable second place on my list. Somewhere? Yes. With <laughs> Stefan de Orff. <laughs> Stefan de Orff. The scene is Tokyo. Bob Harris is an aging actor filming a whiskey ad. Charlotte is left daily in her, tel- her hotel room by her um, Giovanni Ribisi, who is there oh. on business. No woman deserves a Giovanni Ribisi. <laughs> no. Um, their marriage is strained, life crises bound, the two are drawn together first by chance and then necessity. That's right, it is lost in translation. Much like your name, has this sense of searching for something you can't quite describe. The framing device of these two foreigners trying to make their way in a country and culture they don't understand mirrors mm. their personal struggles and uh, with self with identity and uh, makes their coming together so convincing. It's very yeah. Moorish. You want you only want to see the two of them together having yeah. these like the intimate moments that they share. First, the out of uh, their insomnia and sort of yeah. displacement, and then and then a genuine like mm. and um, dare I say it, glove. What about Giovanni Ribisi? Fuck Giovanni Ribisi is the moral of this film. Um, (laughs) What I love about this film is the dynamic. The chemistry is so fucking real. Does it get easier? No. Yes. It gets easier. Oh, yeah? Look at you. Thanks. (laughs) The more you know who you are and what you want, the less you let things upset you. Yeah. I just don't know what I'm supposed to be. You know? At the same time with like this excellent intimate direction from Coppola and the fucking coolest soundtrack of that year probably <laughs> the Japan in this film is yeah pretty magical. Yeah. Um, oh, starring Bill Murray and uh, oh, yeah. Scarlett Johansson. My, my favourite moment I mean I could just say any quiet moment the two mm. share together because they're all equally beautiful but yeah. Um, specifically the, the karaoke scene where, where Bill Murray sings More Than This by Brian Ferry. Oh, yeah. And the scene that the camera goes, alternates between focus on Bill Murray's face mm. and Scarlett Johansson's. Yeah. It's, it's Scarlett Johansson stealing these glances at Bob Murray. Mm. Bill Murray? Bob Murray. <laughs> Bob Murray, the other guy <laughs> the in Uncle the film. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she's stealing these glances. And it, mm. is it love? Is it just friendship? Is it just finding someone? And... Yeah. Just give me chills. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. My number two and your number three. Huh? Yeah, I know. I know these things thanks to editing. <laughs> um, is The Dark Knight. By Christopher Nolan. Kurosawa Nolan. Kurosawa Nolan. There's not much to say about this, really. Everybody everybody has seen it. Yeah. Everyone in the entire world has seen it. 
Um, it's the ultimate blockbuster. Um, firstly, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. The action sequences are beautifully orchestrated and are some of the best ever filmed. The car chase halfway through is stunning. The fight sequence in Hong Kong. The fucking bank heist that opens the movie, but just all of the action beats. It's the best action in cinema, really. I think, I sincerely believe that. Um, Hans Zimmer's score is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Among the best of his career, it's inventive and dramatic and poignant and frightening sometimes, but most importantly, it's fucking heroic. The story is so engaging. You know, what is the Joker's next scheme going to be? He's playing these unpredictable and fascinating games with an entire city. What the fuck is he going to do next? Um, And of course, he is the perfect antagonist. Heath Ledger's legendary, and frankly, I think it's safe to say definitive take on the Joker. He's terrifying and he can come from anywhere. I think more importantly than anything else, it's about the tone and the mood of the film for me. It's intelligent and serious, and it's gritty in a way that no other superhero movie or action movie has managed to be. Ah, oh, the scale is huge. Um, It is also intelligent, asking yeah. questions about what a superhero can mean, what the limitations to fighting evil should be, or mm-hmm. what they are. I think for me, growing up, this was, one of, this was the first sort of comic book mm. adaptation that felt like a legitimate film. Yeah, it felt like an actual movie with oh, yeah. real events and concerns and and, yeah. and, th- and things like that. Oh, yeah. and, and it's a crime thriller that just happens to have Batman yeah, in it. Yeah, and like the, the 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 dynamic of the three main rule sets in that movie of mm. uh, Batman, uh, the Joker, and uh, Two Face, yeah. or lack thereof. There's just so much going on. There's yeah. the, the, the tension of all the, <laughs> these three forces at work you know i've liked various uh, you know michael keaton and oh yeah, yeah um even ben affleck you know it just it only feels like it's sort of scraped the surface in comparison yeah it's it's just so much there and it's it still retains the, the like the the, the comedy that mm. batman has but in this it's in really yeah. tender character moments like the little one-to-ones between mm. bruce wayne and alfred yeah are just wonderful what's your favorite scene the um the interrogation there scene. it is yeah it's, it's, yeah easily the interrogation scene yeah um particularly peaking with <laughs> you have nothing nothing to threaten me with nothing to do with all your shit that's why it's my favorite scene is it's he loses control batman loses control of the yeah. situation and it, it's it's the contrast between the cacophony of batman just punching him and the constant whine of the soundtrack yeah. getting more and more intense that just you know that he's got no control here and it's yeah. oh fuck it's visceral. scary for the viewer yeah, it's you visceral. Know, you're out on a fucking limb here yeah. you're drifting into space boy and <laughs> you you do not know where you're gonna end up <laughs> so the dark knight stands alone as the best superhero movie of all time the most exciting action movie of all time and i think the biggest blockbuster ever made if you haven't seen it, for Christ's sake, try to. Yeah. And if you can, see it on a big screen. Mm. It's the only way it should be yeah. seen. You hear that? IMAX! Do something! <laughs> Come on! Stop showing fucking Baywatch! Okay, guys. We're here now. We're at our number one favorite movie of all time. So, let's talk about honorable mentions. <laughs> Yeah. So before we get to our number one favorite movies of all time, let's quickly breeze through. Breezy. Mm-hmm. Breeze. Breeze. We're going to breeze through this motherfucker like a breeze on a Scottish island. And it's going to be cathartic. Fuck yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, here's numbers 30 through 11 of our top 30 favorite movies of all time. Number 30, uh, Full Metal Jacket. New recruits uh, go to Vietnam. 
The humour, bleakness, challenging ideas of masculinity, and at the same time being a classic war epic, but it's one of the most real and human war films there is. Number 30, The Shawshank Redemption. A man is sent to prison for the murder of his wife. He has to learn to survive prison, and in doing so, manages to make it a very different place. It's a beautiful movie about hope and endurance, and more importantly, it's a wonderfully performed bromance movie. And my favourite thing is that it's just uh, the, the fascinating episodic study of imprisonment and its impact on people. Number 29, The Deer Hunter. Got an incredible cast list, some amazing performances, an amazing walk-in, and <laughs> surprisingly few people I know have seen this, and they yeah. really should. Absolutely. Um, number 29, Withnail and I. A pair of alcoholic actors go on holiday by mistake and hole up in a cottage in the countryside, drinking and trying to stay alive, in that order of importance. A very tight contest between this and Holy Grail, uh, for my favourite comedy, but in addition to being as funny and memorable, this film has a real emotional effect on me. 28, for me, is a very new addition, a ghost story. Ooh! Um, I don't want to reveal anything about this beyond saying don't make any assumptions. The more yeah. the film progressed and the more people um, expecting a horror film left the cinema, <laughs> the more everyone who stayed fell in love with it completely. My 28 is Primer. Uh, two men invent a time machine by accident and in- immediately set about using it for personal gain, but things soon go very wrong. Um, I love how natural the film is. It's shot like a documentary, uh, but it's also deeply intelligent and very clever. Uh, best time travel movie ever. 27 for me is Enter the Void, the last most unique film before a ghost story. The soul of a man drifts above Tokyo after being gunned down in a drugs raid and watches his family and friends reel from his death. Mm. Uh, like Ghost Story, it's a unique meditation on death and the afterlife. My number 27 is Princess Mononoke. My favourite Studio Ghibli is about a lone warrior who must leave his tribe to discover a cure to the curse that has been placed on him. It's the first Ghibli I saw and I love it because the action is exhilarating and surprisingly violent. Uh, the world is gorgeous. The music will bring tears to your face and pants. And there's this really intelligent and nuanced message about man's relationship with nature and modernity. Uh, obviously, you should watch in Japanese. Funny and surprisingly violent is my number 26 in Bruges. Um, again, covered in an earlier episode. It's a hilarious and dark tale of two hitmen hiding out in Bruges, dealing with some pretty big demons. It's got a kick-ass score, best comedic performances. Really worth seeing. My 26 is 12 Angry Men. A jury of 12 men must decide if a young man murdered his father or if there is reasonable doubt that will save him from the gas chamber. Uh, one man attempts to convince the rest. So it's a compellingly written murder mystery where they go through the evidence, dissecting and discussing it, uh, but it's also a wonderful character piece. All 12 men are perfectly played and fully realised, particularly the holdout and the angriest man. Number 25, her. Oh, wow. Uh, man falls in love with AI. So just, <laughs> it is a stunning meditation on love and what it means to be human with the most natural characters mm. in just about any film I think I've ever seen. Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Chris Starling is an FBI agent in pursuit of a serial killer named Buffalo Bill who mm. is murdering and skinning women. Um, desperate for leads, her superior sends her for insight from convicted serial killer and cannibal Hannibal Lecter. It's a brilliant crime filler, like most of my favourite movies. Um, <laughs> Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins make the movie. The tense game they play throughout is just riveting. Um, it's exciting and dark and scary, and it's the best serial killer movie ever, almost. 24 for me, Shaun of the Dead. This deserves it the most. Everyone's seen it. I've loved it ever since it came out. Yeah. So does everyone. The best example of the Peg Wright Frost dynamic and more capable than a lot of the genre it pays homage to. Uh, number 24, Seven, the best serial killer movie ever. <laughs> Um, David Fincher directs the story of two detectives who have to stop a serial killer who's committing murders themed around the seven deadly sins. Uh, Morgan Freeman is the highlight for me. It's his performance as the sort of cynical detective who is sick of the world and its problems um, that makes the movie. But Fincher's direction is also totally on point. It's a dark, cynical world uh, that this gripping thriller happens to 
be set in, but one with hope in it. Number 23 for me is Pan's Labyrinth, a uh, deeply original dark fairy tale about a young girl who goes with her mother to live with a Spanish commander at the height of the Spanish Civil War. Yep. Romantic, it's creepy, it's memorable. Amazing original score. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's best realised film is Crimson yep. Peak. <laughs> <laughs> it should be seen by everyone. 23, The Seventh Seal. Awesome medieval drama about a knight returning home whilst playing a game of chess with death. It's a movie about existentialism and faith. Uh, and most importantly, death, but I love it because the characters and the episodes that the knight experiences on his way home are so entertaining. 22 for me is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and um, the movie that kicked off the West Love for Wuxia. Yep. Chow Yun-Fat in unusually non-gurning form as one of a number of legendary warriors vying for a big sword. Just beautiful. <laughs> it's an epic in the truest sense and as fluid as ballet. When we bemoan films missing the wonder or the mythos that fleshes yeah. out the film, here's mm. a perfect example of how to do it. 22, Pulp Fiction. My favourite Tarantino is an anthology movie about various criminals in LA as they experience drugs, violence, and $5 shakes. Uh, the movie's cool hasn't da- hasn't really dated. It's still a great blend of 60s French New Wave and 90s Indie Americana. Uh, really funny, very inventive, and yeah, still very cool. My 21, uh, Midnight in Paris. Ooh. My favourite Woody Allen, Gil Pender, transported back to Paris in the 1920s. Yep. Uh, an era he loves, full of artists he admires and confronts the nostalgia that defines him and shapes every decision he makes. It manages to talk broadly about art and creating, as well as reconciling yourself with your place in the modern world. Really funny. Bloody brilliant. My 21 is Her, uh, my favourite romance movie. In the near future, a man falls in love with his operating system. I think I need the degree of separation that science fiction affords in order to relate to something, and I find the way that the relationship in her develops and struggles at times so fucking relatable. Um, all of the performances are amazing, as is Spike John's gentle but sort of real direction. It's beautiful. Number 20 for me is the Darjeeling Limited. Mm. Three brothers go to India to try and find themselves and one another. Ooh. Often overlooked is a bit of a straight story. There's so much on offer in three intricate character studies of three unsettlingly self-obsessed men. It takes <laughs> place in this world that Wes Anderson creates for every one of his films. And mm. it's funnier than most of them and most comedies for me because I just love the characters and yeah. I just love how self-obsessed they are. Number 20, The Godfather Part 2. Uh, the second best direct sequel ever made. Uh, the film continues to follow Michael as he tries to run the Corleone crime family intercut with his father building the mafia back in the day to protect the family that Michael finds is slipping away from him. Uh, poignant, epic, and frankly iconic. It's just completely absorbing. Number 19 is Warrior. This is the film that goes on as soon as I li- learn that someone in the room hasn't seen it. <laughs> Two estranged brothers wind up in the same MMA tournament. It's about the fatherhood issues from the amazing, fragile performance yeah. of Nick Nolte. Uh, nerve-wracking fights in the beginning of my one-way love affair with Joel Edgerton. 19, Fargo. A slightly smaller scale crime story than Godfather Part 2, but um, a man hires some goons to kidnap his wife, but it all goes wrong and a pregnant cop has to solve the case. It's the Coen Brothers, so of course it's funny and tragic and weird and pretty dark. Uh, it's yet another crime filler, but this one is a little more homespun than my others. Uh, Frances McDormand is the heart of the movie um, as a very different kind of hero, but she's incredible. 18 is Sing Street. We've been here before um, in my 2016 <laughs> list. Schoolboy starts a band to impress a girl. The love of creating art is what placed it firmly in my top 30. I defy you not to feel the love for human beings after watching this film yeah. or to come out with the urge to write an epic poem about orchestral manoeuvres in the dark. <laughs> 
Excellent. Yeah. Um, my 18 is Seven Samurai, Kira Kurosawa's movie about a desperate group of villagers who recruit seven samurai, well, six anyway, and some guy they also meet, uh, to protect them from bandits. I love it because it has stunning black and white cinematography, revolutionary action sequences, which are still exhilarating and brilliant, um, and also just fantastic performances all around, but especially from Toshio Mifune mm-hmm. and Takeshi Shimura. Number 17, uh, for me, is the greatest comedy of all time, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, great. Works on so many levels. It utilizes the strength of several fascinatingly intelligent comedians. Yeah. And has some of the most inventive visual visual gags of all time. Um, 17, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Three men go on, go on a quest for hidden gold during the Civil War. And it's all about character and scale. It's an epic populated by these brilliant characters, especially Eli Wallach as, um, or Wallach. Wallach. Who cares? As Tuco. Uh, there's huge set pieces, tense little gunfights. It's a perfect western. It's everything you want. Mm-hmm. 16 for me is 2001. Ah. A Space Odyssey. Hello again, <laughs> Kubrick. Uh, the film that is known throughout the universe as cold is uh, inimitable treatise on mankind's evolution and is as yeah. relevant now as it has ever been. 16 is Jaws, the original blockbuster. Uh, the first half is a slasher movie where the focus is on the impact on the town and the feeling of impetus, impotence the sheriff experiences under the overbearing mayor. And the second half is a buddy adventure movie on the high seas. Uh, also, there's a shark in it. Oh. So it's funny, scary, and thrilling. Love it. Great. So now we're into um, 15 to 11, which are the ones that really hurt me not to include in the top 10. Oh, so man. this is very therapeutic. I'm glad that I get the chance to, to, to go through these. 15 for me is Spirited Away. A girl's parents are trapped in a curse of sorts and she's fated to working her way up through a fantastical world in order to find her way back. Yeah, Gorgeous. Uh, the first Ghibli I ever saw and will always be that film that opened me up to the possibilities of animation. Good stuff. Uh, my number 15 is The Matrix. Uh, a hacker discovers that his world is actually a computer-generated dream world mm-hmm. designed to keep humans from the truth. This was my favorite movie for the decade after I saw it. I absolutely It just blew my little teenage mind away. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved the combination of visceral action and heady themes and ideas. Yeah. Terminator 2 is my number 14. The One of the greatest action films of all time. Fuck yeah. It happens to be an ex- extremely prescient film about humanity and our relationship with technology. Yep. I could cry just thinking about it. Yep. I fucking love Linda Hamilton in that yeah. movie. 14, Alien. I saw rec- I saw Alien recently in a sold-out screening at the BFI South Bank. An adorable couple in front of me jumped and yelped at all the key moments, proving that there is still nothing like a slasher movie for date night. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what Alien is, a slasher movie in outer space made by one of the greatest visual directors in the medium. 13 for me. My fucking God, I was so desperate to include this in the top 10, but yeah. it didn't quite make it. It's Derek Sian France's Blue Valentine. Mm. We see Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams falling in and out of love at the beginning and end of their relationship, respectively. The chemistry between these two is just so believable, and the humour comes from real people and real yeah. situations that it makes the relationship's demise all the more memorable and, and devastating. Yeah, An utterly, utterly beautiful film, and mm. probably the greatest unseen film that I just beg everyone to watch. Uh, my number 13 is similar, uh, Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> um, it was in my top 10 for about seven years before mm. I I swapped it out for The Shining as my favorite horror movie because whilst yeah. The Shining is the scariest horror movie, mm. Dawn of the Dead might be my favorite horror movie. Mm. It's um it's bloody, it's clever, it's eccentric in a lot of places and very moving in others. The Goblin soundtrack is great. The gore is perfect over the top 70s horror and it makes full use, full use of its concept. Mm. A bunch of survivors are held up in a supermarket. What are the advantages? What are disadvantages? What happens to the people in it? It just fully explores that idea. 
I love it. Great. Number 12 is a film that spent years in my top 10, Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Oh, yeah. It's a tale of several individuals whose, whose lives intertwine through their mistakes, essentially, how this ties them all together, and the intense character studies make this three-hour film mm. feel about 40 minutes long, with an excellent Amy Mann soundtrack and the best Tom Cruise performance you will ever see. Yes. Number 12, American Beauty. A movie about various characters grappling with how they should live their lives, but centering on Lester Burnham, who develops a crush on his daughter's friend Angela, and decides to abandon his tiresome adult life in pursuit of the freedom and happiness he remembers from his teenage years. Kevin Spacey's best performance, a fabulous script that's full of human moments and truths about modern life, and a gorgeous and gorgeous direction by Sam Mendes. Um, it's visually striking, very moving, and the soundtrack makes me cry a lot. So yeah, we find we get to number eleven, the one that almost, almost, almost made it on, but it's just best runner-up. Yeah, <laughs> best loser, and uh, that loser is Michelle Gondry's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Ouch! It hurts not to have this in my top ten. Uh, my favorite Jim Carrey role, probably mm. my favorite Kate Winslet role. Oh yeah, the most sober, yeah, whimsical uh, look on the nature of love exist in cinema and it's funny <laughs> it has a great john bryan soundtrack yeah. and visually is michelle gondry and charlie kaufman just making the perfect match yeah my number 11 inception movie that my colleague has talked about at great length hello hello there it's an incredible action movie only the dark knight matches it for spectacle and wonder and only memento matches it for inventiveness and emotional heft it's brilliant such a cool concept and used completely fully which as you may have guessed is a big thing for me <sighs> We're that, that was quick <laughs> that was about 15 minutes <laughs> a breezy quarter hour <laughs> paul what's your favorite movie of all time i think we all know i think we've all put it together by now <laughs> the clues were there the clues were all there it is freddy got fingered <laughs> long may it remain so <laughs> Freddie got fingered the Royal Tenenbaums by... Uh, <laughs> Freddie fingered the Royal Tenenbaums. By uh, Tom Green was Anderson. The Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, and a strange father tries to reconnect with his family before it's too late. Only the family who all overachieved in their youth are now flailing wildly <laughs> in the in the darkness is um, the best Ben Stiller performance, the best Owen Wilson performance, mm. the best Luke Wilson performance, the best Gwyneth Paltrow performance. Yeah. And then you have Gene Hackman, Bill Murray, Angelica Houston, and Danny Glover all giving these just incredible button-down performances that, like Dr. Manhattan, <laughs> hint, <laughs> hint at an ocean of sadness and yeah. longing and, and nostalgia and all, all these things behind behind the eyes. The Royal Tenenbaums is laid out like a novel. It's the narrative framing at the beginning of several scenes. And really, this this is the only way to describe how and how descriptive every single frame of this movie is. The accoutrement of Ro- Royal Tenenbaum, played incredibly by the scary Gene Hackman. <laughs> scary up, Hackman. Yeah, freaky Hackman, picked up over the course of this bizarre adventure of a life. Mm. That they're, they're in every room, even if he's not. Every scene is full of m- memories. He haunts it. And, and yeah. there's just this regret and longing for this past when everyone was happy or fulfilled or just before they'd been corrupted or ruined or broken. And as I mentioned earlier, for the Darjeeling Limited, Wes Anderson just creates these worlds that sit just adjacent to this one that (laughs) that we know. It's just different enough for it to have a sort of fairy tale feel. And so even though Royal Tenenbaum is a pretty terrible guy, you want them to be happy again. And and if that means him succeeding, then so be it. (laughs) 
there's 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 a world within mm. within each of these films, and I think it's the best realized in the Royal Tenenbaums. There's a, a real heartbreaking love story in there. Mm. There's there's a, a a story of somebody overcoming addiction. There's there's yeah. somebody who just looks back on their life with regret, but is too stubborn to yeah. to do anything about it or or to accept responsibility for it. Yeah, there's so much has beens and could have beens and so, so much pain that's just sitting beneath the surface. Yeah, you stay away from my children. Do you understand? My God, I haven't been in here for years. Hey, are you listening to me? Yes, I am. I think you're having a nervous breakdown. I don't think you recovered from Rachel's death. I... It's 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 the film that I've seen the most out of anything, except yeah. for maybe Face Off, ah. <laughs> but for very different reasons. Um, <laughs> and. There are still certain moments that, even though I know exactly when they're coming, yeah, they get me every time. What is your favorite moment from your favorite movie ever? Your favorite film moment ever? It's the the trademark Wes Anderson tracking shot. Yeah, I thought so. That sums up everyone's stories. Yeah, and brings closure in one fell swoop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Contains some of the best dialogue of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. I don't think I really appreciated Royal Tenenbaums until we saw it at the cinema. Yeah. I really loved it when you lent it to me, sort of early on in our friendship. But when we went to the cinema to see it, really, I just... It, it's its Wes Anderson's most natural film, as well as anything else. It's the one with the most sort of human performances yeah. in it. My favorite scene, I think, is the scene in the tent with... Um, oh, yeah. Uh, fuck, Richie and... Margot. Margot, yeah. They're, just them trying to figure out what they are to each other. <sighs> Yeah, there's a there's a there's a line there that I wish I could say, but I, again, I just don't want any of it. Yeah, spoiled. Yeah, at, at all. Yeah. It's such a treat. It's gorgeous. Um, yeah. yeah, excellent. That's really cool. Okay, my my favorite movie of all time is um, Park Chan-wook's Old Boy. I saw Old Boy when I was 15 in 2003 and had to take the next day off school because of it. I just remember feeling so moved by it, physically and emotionally, that I couldn't bear to go and pretend to care about geography the next day. <laughs> Nothing at school was going to be as important as what happened to me that night. I really distinctly remember that and asked, and, you know, none of them knew. <laughs> none of them could relate to what I had just experienced. <laughs> you know, luckily I had sympathetic parents with 70s art porn on there video shelves so i was able to get away with it <laughs> i think this might actually be a perfect film uh the plot is riveting it's about a man named ode su who is abducted and, and imprisoned for 15 years of his life during that time his wife is murdered and he is framed for it but he's not imprisoned by the authorities uh, so there's a man there's a manhunt going on for him his daughter is taken and put into protective custody he is released and charged with finding out why he was imprisoned um, before he can start trying to put his life back together. Um, this is a game his former captor is playing with him, and he races through his past to try and find the mysterious man, the person he wronged enough to have justified the sheer effort of having put him in prison for 15 years. It's full of twists, it keeps you guessing throughout, but it never loses sight of its greatest asset, which is its characters. Odesu is played by Min, uh, Choik Min-sik, uh, and his uh, performance is one of the boldest and bravest in cinema history in terms of the sheer pain and joy and desperation and determination he articulates is always fearless. 
frankly. His captor, Wu Jin, uh, is played by um, Wu Jite, and is menacing and ultimately incredibly tragic. Um, Kang Hye uh, Jung is um, Mido, Ode Su's love interest in the film. Uh, the film wouldn't work as well as it does if it weren't for her utterly endearing and strong performance. Mm. Um, visually, the film is gorgeous. Park Chan Wook is an innovator when it comes to scene composition and transitions from scene to scene. The music by uh, Jo Yong Wook is just among the best composed for film. It's not Howard Shaw, but it's still really fucking it's pretty powerful. Good. It's it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Um, there's also an amazing act. There there are some amazing action sequences, some brilliant fight scenes, some wonderful erotica, even if it is complicated later on by the plot, um, and just the most relatable human moments in film history um it was also your number four it was also my number four one of the greatest mind blow moments for for yeah. me i think as a young one when i when i saw this i can't yeah. remember how old how old i was 16 yeah. maybe something like that how wonderful yeah um yeah a real good film to watch <laughs> in my formative years yeah it's very slick yeah and it's very entertainingly yeah um fast-paced despite yes. the f- despite the fact that it's got great control of uh, oh, God, uh, yeah. every scene what's your favorite scene from old boy <laughs> For me, it has to be the finale. Oh, in the penthouse, the penthouse. right? Yes, okay, everything so in the penthouse. The, yeah, the, yeah, the whole the whole penthouse, right? Bit. Um, yeah, I mean that is just... it's the crescendo, and it's... yeah, <laughs> can't say anything more. On that, no, you really. can't. But it's stunning. The use of montage is brilliant. Yeah. I'm going to go even more into spoilers um, <laughs> without giving any spoilers away because my favorite moment is the very end, the epilogue, mm. kind uh-huh. of uh, in the snow. Um, hmm two people embracing the snow unsure of the future and again like the world tenor realms unsure of who they are and what they are capable of being to each other a lot of critics got hung up on the violence of the film and it bothers me that the film was released in the uk by tartan extreme their label uh, which also released all of the Takeshi Miike films uh, and the Ringu movies. Yeah. You know, that that's the kind of deal here. It's, yeah. it's audition. But um, Roger Ebert said it best. Old Boy is a powerful film, not because of what it depicts, but because of the depths of the human heart which it strips bare. Old Boy is my favorite movie because every single time I watch it, I'm affected by it. It's perfect and powerful. For God's sake, watch it if you haven't. Please do. From a number one man and a number four man. <laughs> Paul, that's our top 10 list of all time. Yeah. Now, any stray observations sort of about your top 10? Because one thing I've noticed is it's all genre, all of mine, mainly thriller, but some sci-fi, some horror. Mm. I've got nothing that you would describe as a straight drama, like Moonlight this year or Manchester by the Sea. I've got nothing like that. Right. You've no straight story. I've no straight story, which um, my mother put as her favorite film of all time. Mm. So I've got no like kitchen sink family dramas. Okay, now are you being too hard on yourself by giving giving genre to to films that I don't, aren't I don't straight up so. genre? I think most of them could be described as thrillers, crime thrillers. Okay, I, I think it's just a thing about me that I am, and it's most obvious in things like her. Mm. I am most comfortable exploring our world and the emotions that are available to us in it through slightly fantastical lenses. Mm. Well, I feel like people often like disparagingly refer to genre yeah. movies and genre novels and things like that. And it really, yeah. it, it shouldn't be a, a byword for like second rate or anything no, like no, that. No. Yeah. And I, I, th- I feel popularist. I th- yeah, I feel like people are not ashamed, but they're like self conscious about 
mm. about liking things like that. But the best genre movies are just they're, they're, they're vehicles for getting yeah. across some really big ideas. And it's the same for me. At least yeah. half of the movies in my top ten list are <laughs> high concept sci-fi yeah. movies that made me cry, and the other <laughs> half are mopey indie movies that made me cry. <laughs> um, and then there's a Godfather in the middle that's like the fulcrum. If you're like, come on, balance it out, lads. <laughs> I, yeah, I think there's there's definitely there's definitely nothing nothing wrong with that. And ult- ultimately, it's about you know what gets that idea across best. You know, when I look at mine, I can't think of any. I mean, there are very few straight up dramas. Yeah, Mike Lee isn't on there. I no, yeah, ad- adore Mike Lee, but sure, but what, yeah, what, Ken Loach is just yeah. maybe too raw. Yeah. You know, you need you need something because I, I, we did neither of us included like I Daniel Blake in our yeah. favorite movies of. 2016 but we both yeah. cried at the end of it i believe yeah. we both you know were really moved by it but it's too it's just it's just too blunt perhaps we need if it was yeah. set in a dystopian future yeah <laughs> and i mean and daniel blake was a robot and it's not to put down anything like anything by mike lee or tyrannosaur no. or anything like that yeah sure very fine films absolutely um but they don't just don't grab me in the in the same, same way, way in that in that lasting way yeah. i guess I think it's interesting what they say about you. A lot of my list can, uh, involves ineffective male leads. You know, whether it be Jack <laughs> yeah. from Fight Club or the dude, you know, depending on what your standards of effectiveness are. There's an awful lot of, um, sort of Hamlet style, should I act as a correct to act or mm. just people being unable to act because they're so incompetent. <laughs> and I think I find, I, I find that interesting, you know, being a, a man vaguely in this, <laughs> yeah. um, time. Trying to figure out how to how to man in this time when it's a lot less clear than it was in say the fifties or so, for better or worse. Yeah, um, M- largely better. It's very much better <laughs> that we're not expected yeah. or contractually ag- obliged to be men from the fifties. It's better for everyone. Yeah, but that's not the case, especially women. Ab- absolutely, <laughs> there are a lot of movies in in, in my top thirty list actually that do deal with the, these ideas of masculinity and, yeah. and male depression and things like that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of it there. The, the only other stray observation I would feel is the the lack of uh, classical mm. movies. I've, I I see my, my my taste in films and my my list it rotates on a much more mm. it's like a much more contemporary thing than say my favorite novels or favorite right. albums. And a lot of people you know a lot of people have sent in lists with a lot yeah. of fantastic fantastic yeah. classic you know classic movies or you know yeah. from the sixties fifties seventies twenties whatever. My list is loaded with them. Yeah, my list is from all over the shop fifties seventies. Mostly yeah. 90s and noughties, though, it does have to be said. And, and it means that, uh, you know, a lot of emissions are things like Seven Samurai, Fanny yeah. and Alexander, Sunset Boulevard. Sure. Th- things, you know, films that are just, yeah. just incredible. But yeah. in terms of relevance to me and the films that resonate with me, it, it, it seems to be sort of more modern, yeah. contemporary films. And what yeah. that says about me, I'm not sure. But mm. but it's an interesting observation. It is interesting because we rewatched Rear Window recently. Mm. And whilst we were we were watching it and just hearing Jeffries talk about how he doesn't want to be pinned down, he wants yeah. to keep moving. I just couldn't help but think about how relevant that is, you yeah. know, how and how it will always be to how people feel. And I think I always, again, maybe it's that disconnect that I yeah. need, but just I'm I'm able to relate so well to these classical movies and just think, wow, it's still when you successfully capture humanity in a fucking lens, like Bergman does, like Kubrick does you've captured something that will always be true of man yeah and i just love that okay guys i think now we're going to talk about the thing that maybe a lot of you came here for yeah thank you thank you um we had 48 people give their list to us which is a great amount um we're really happy with that thanks very much everyone who submitted their top 10 favorite films list we appreciate how difficult it is to work out 
and we're really glad you did it. We've uh, totted up the results. Now, the way we've done this is that if you put a film at number one, we gave it 10 points. Mm -hmm. If you put a film at number two, we gave it nine points. And then we added up all the points that the movie's got in order to find out what the order was. There are some issues with this system, which we'll come to in a moment. And we had some ties that were then broken up firstly by how many lists the film appeared on. And then if that didn't separate it, then who put, you know, which film appeared higher on any list. So, but to be honest, ties didn't happen much. We had some really good results and we had a runaway winner. But let's go for it. We're going to do the top 10 and then I'll, I'll make this data available to everyone so you can all come in and have an explore because cool. it's very interesting. Mm. Um, but let's go through the top 10. Number 10 with 27 votes, uh, t- 27 points, sorry, appearing on three lists is Back to the Future. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a really fun movie, a great 80s kind yeah. of thing. And it's it's one of those movies, I think, where it's impossible. It's It's a mood lifting movie. Number nine, The Matrix. Uh, we've discussed it already. Yep. It's yeah, a, a very fun movie. Yeah, and really, yeah, it's really cool. So the well. ninety nine crowd. <laughs> um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, it's number nine. Uh, number eight. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> almost yeah. made it into mine. And then I'm very happy about this. Number seven is Alien. <laughs> a movie I fucking love. Thanks to four people who gave it who gave it a total of twenty nine points. Okay, number six is The Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. By far the most popular Lord of the Rings film. I'm so happy about number five. I can't believe it, but I'm really happy about it. Five lists gave it a total of 32 points. It's only bloody old boy. Oh, <laughs> older boy. Older boy. Brilliant. Yeah. I didn't know. I genuinely, I, I never know how, like, popular that movie is. Yeah. But it, it's just, it does stand out. There's, there's always a fair amount of solidarity whenever you find someone who loves old boy. Yes. Yeah. Nobody just likes it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, number four, Fight Club. Fuck yeah. Yeah, that's the graduate of our generation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number three, very happy, a late list pushed this up there, Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Very surprising, but um, good stuff. Good to see a, like an out-and-out comedy. Out-and-out comedy, action movie, seven lists. Wow. It appeared on. Yeah. Almost one in five li- uh, lists had 20% of the lists we got in had Hot Fuzz on it. That's impressive. <laughs> Number two. This was in the lead for a long time until a couple more lists came in at the end, which just pushed something above it. Mm. Number two is the best Star Wars. It's The Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Um, yeah. It's a, a, a timeless sci-fi fantasy movie. Um, closer to the fantasy than the sci-fi, but uh, everyone's great in that movie. And it's a film where they really sort of flesh out the universe, the roles. Mm. It's great. Okay, best film of all time, according to our voters. This um, got 53 points based on seven lists. And I'm surprised it, it wins by 10 clear points. It is Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> How about that? I, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that. I'm pretty happy about it. Um, as I say, Pulp Fiction was in my own top 30. Yeah. It's a really fun movie. It's my favorite Tarantino and it kind of feels like the purest Tarantino in mm. terms of his like raison d'etre. It's yeah. the blending of genres to the point where it doesn't even feel like a genre movie. Yes. I mean, is this a crime story, really? It's That's not what the meat of the movie is. It's not like a heist movie or anything. It's about people. It's about characters. It's yeah. driven by dialogue. It's cinematic in the way it sort of handles moments of tension and the way it handles sort of characters relating to each other. It's funny as hell yeah it's it's a great movie and i i'm, I'm very happy that it's the ogt people's favorite yeah <laughs> 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 
Half and half, I think. Half very surprising yeah. um, entries and, and, and half the kind of films that you would expect that yeah. kind of fall in line with the IMDb yeah. toppins. But then the IMDb toppins are Shawshank, The Dark Knight. Yeah. The Dark Knight movies, Godfather. Let me just read off a few more. I'm going to go down from 11 just um, yeah. for a while, yeah. just to see some of the more interesting films that are in there. Again, I will put this list on Twitter, and along with the data that we collected, the raw data, in case you want to add it up in a way you might think mm. is better. But um, number 11, Jurassic Park. Some of these will be ties, so I just read in alphabetical order. Jurassic Park, Memento at yeah. 12. Nolan almost very got cool. in. Yeah. Three points would have gotten him in. There was a very late surge in Nolan Love um, oh, from some of our last lists. And... Oh, yeah. I'm delighted that movies like The Prestige got mentioned yeah. um, in somebody's list. Yeah. I love that movie so much. The Lion King, most popular Disney on the list. Mm-hmm. Surprising. No animated films in the top 10. Mm. Interesting. Uh, With Nail and I, fantastic, yeah. iconic comedy. The Thing. Yes. Wonderful horror movie. I love that movie. And it got onto three people's lists. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Perfect. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Pan's Labyrinth. Cool. Excellent. There at number 17. Goodfellas. Scorsese never goes, never goes wrong. Yeah. Um, Some Like It Hot. Ooh. Yeah. How's that for a surprise? Got onto three lists. Wow. Yeah. Brilliant. So some comedy just never ages. And yeah. Some Like It Hot is just the, it's still as funny as it ever was. Children of Men. Gone to four lists. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's a high rating for uh, Children of Men, a really great science fiction film, very yeah. gritty. Uh, da- the Dark Knight, um, Blade Runner. Yeah. Two Royal Tenenbaums. Royal Tenenbaums okay. at 23. Big Lebowski. <laughs> Good stuff. Shawshank Redemption there at 25. Mm-hmm. Former people's favorite. Full Metal Jacket shortly behind. Ooh. Almost Famous is probably the first film on the here, number 28, that I haven't seen. Oh, really? Yeah, so I'll... Check that out. I think it might be one of the only films on here I haven't seen. Uh, Bridget Jones's Diary finds its way in mm-hmm. um, because we let girls vote, much against my <laughs> sexually graphic protests. <laughs> uh, two lists got it in at number uh, with sixteen points. Jaws, Forrest Gump, High Fidelity. Oh, got onto cool. three lists. Um, Aliens, Talented Mr. Ripley got onto mm. lists. That's very surprising and excellent. Um, Boogie Nights. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, I'm very happy to see got onto three people's favorite. And let's not, you know, just, you know, oh, three lists. What's that? Yeah. That That's somebody's, like, top ten favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, that's great. It's a great film. Really good film, and I re- struggle to find an audience, so that's that really makes me happy. Muppets Christmas Carol. Yeah. Uh, two points. Some good Christmas films. Martial arts movie there, Enter the Dragon, on one list. Other people's favorite movies include Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, Leon... Whiplash, Labyrinth, The Straight Story. One in particular that um, I suppose you haven't mentioned. What's that? I Saw the Devil. Yes. Yes, I Saw the Devil there on one person's list, their favourite film of all time. And yeah. I, I love I Saw the Devil. That director, whose name unfortunately escapes me just at the moment, <laughs> but who also directed The Tale of Two Sisters yeah. and some other great stuff. He's brilliant. So I was really happy to see I Saw the Devil. On yeah, there. that was a, that was a mind-opening film. <laughs> Um, so a couple of things about this point system. It doesn't. It's not necessarily the most fair because the thing about Pulp Fiction is, it was nobody's favorite movie. Mm. Nobody put it at number one, but seven people included it on their lists. Mm. Now I would say that's significant. The fact that seven people fought to include it means, you know, and no one else got. Well, there were two other films that were in seven people's lists, and that's Hot Fuzz and Fight Club. Yeah. But they didn't like. They didn't put Pulp Fiction high enough. Mm. You know, to beat it. So I'd say that's significant and. You know, important. I think that's a fair way of doing it as well. I think so. If we just count number ones, if we just asked everyone for their favourite movies and counted up the results, 
then there are there are seven movies that were yeah. picked by two people. Those movies are Back to the Future, Fight Club, Full Metal Jacket, The Matrix. The Matrix. Someone put it at number two, <laughs> so it's very close. Yeah. Uh, Memento, Pulp Fiction, and The Royal Tenenbaums. Thank you. Those are the movies that um yeah got given ten points twice. Yeah. Two people justifying my existence. <laughs> God bless them. Um, it's been a really interesting list. Uh, it really it was has been really fun getting everyone's in and just going through them. And like we say, having a top ten list, it's a wonderful insight into the person. And I think mm. some people feel a bit worried about that. They get a bit, you know, yeah. oh, it's a bit of a tender thing I'm exposing here to the two Pauls, <laughs> you know. And I don't want to be mm. judged on it, you know, unfairly. And we are judgy. We are judgy, aren't we? Mm. Oh we're God, yeah. Awful, awful people. Um, but um, so many people sort of. Yeah, we really appreciate that people sort of took that risk. But um, it was kind of nice to see the tremors of panic that people would have sending over the lists. And yeah, a lot a lot of people did feel like they had to justify choosing films that they loved instead of in, instead of yeah, like cinem like cinematic masterpieces. You know, <laughs> and um, it's not just Citizen Kane five times. Yeah, <laughs> but it was really interesting to see how everybody seemed to be going through that process. I, I feel like we've represented ourselves and our interests well. Yes. In this, I, yeah, I I think so. I'm I'm f- happy with my final ten. Uh. It's is fluid. It's not definitive. Yeah, I think if we did it in a year's time, it would look different for me. Yeah, because of the sort of rolling, like yeah. revolving door policy that I seem to have <laughs> on my favourites. But yeah, for this moment, right here, right now. Yeah, this is Paul Goodman <laughs> and his films. Signing off with a- some films. Alien reference. My core hope from this episode is that maybe you listening few have um <laughs> still you're still listening few. <laughs> have heard some of the movies that we've talked about and some of the movies our listeners have selected and think, oh, I'll give that a go. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully you'll discover something that maybe will appear on your favourite films list. Yeah. And if you do discover anything or you have anything to say about any of this, get in touch. We really want Please to hear do. from people on this. Yes. We're on OGTPod at gmail.com. Yep. And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at OGTPod. Yep. Sub- subscribe get in- get involved because this is an ongoing debate i think yeah. we're, we're 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 managing to do in every episode pretty much yeah i'm paul salt i'm paul goodman and remember the one good thing about having a top 10 list is that you can immediately isolate yourself from 90 percent of the people around you immediately 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 yeah put Emily on there watch that go down <laughs>